What do you think, Ricardo? Well, how about how about this? How about this? We'll recommend two, and we'll talk about one that we're really excited to be reading soon. Oh, okay. Like, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I have nothing. No, I have no idea. I've I got a, I'll give you one of mine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. I know. I could do that. I'm a big book Oliver reader. Twist or something. Okay. My Oliver Twist. The you know? Brothers Carol. <laughs> As everyone does. Come right. on, Betsy. Come, come on. Oh, Betsy. BK by FD. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Sorry. Are you it's ready? Happy. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. I hate this part. All right. Welcome back to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I am Liz Easton. I'm hosting for you today, and the gang is all back together. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Since it's been a while, and you might have forgotten how to distinguish Betsy and my voices from one another, uh, we're going to do a little introduction again. Um, and let's start with Ricardo. Tell us where you are and what you're up to. Hi, Liz. Uh, yes, Ricardo Avila here in California, uh, rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in beautiful Los Gatos, California, home of Netflix and various wineries, a, a Jesuit either monastery or retirement home. I guess they don't have monasteries. <laughs> Yay! I, I kind of wish that there was a monk that worked at Netflix and, like, made homemade wine. Like, you could combine all of those things that your town is making. I think that sounds amazing. That could be a TV show. That would be the monk awesome. Of, the monk that, of, would be, be, that could be a Netflix show. Watch out, the monk. Bachelor, bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> this, this next one. Killing it. Betsy, what are you up to? I'm holding on to Summer Liz with a white knuckle desperation. Oh. No, um, no, we're we're about to be back in session here at Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, where I serve as chaplain. And Greg Knight, what are you up to? Hey, Liz, I work down here in Palm Beach, Florida. Well, I am in Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And summer is kind of a high travel time for me within the diocese because typically it's safer. That's what we say. But I saw a tornado for the first time in my life oh. this summer, like saw it form, saw what? it, saw the whole, the whole thing. It was incredible. It was wow. What does that mean, Liz? Well, um... Well, it happens when cold air and warm air. No, I get that, but it's just like some sort of... I think the real omen, Betsy, is if they have shark attacks in Omaha. That would be... (laughs) By baby sharks? Baby sharks? (laughs) I don't know. So we're back with this episode um, as our annual book recommendation episode. So it's a little late to call it a summer reading episode I, but maybe it's reading for the fall or real reading for the tail end of your summer um i think all four of us are pretty big readers and um have some good books to recommend i'll tell you guys i have had a really big reading year and that's for two reasons that i will recommend to you one my new year's resolution was to complete the book riot read harder challenge and oh, that, 
It's so cool. The website Book Riot every year puts out, um, I think it's 24 prompts. For, and then you find a book that fits the prompt and complete all of the prompts. So a prompt might be um, a book uh, that written by an author of color that won a literary award in 2018. So then you kind of look and figure out what that is. You find um, cool. a book that fits that prompt. So that's been really fun. I'm working my way through it. I've kind of done all the ones that I wanted to do, and I'm left with a lot of graphic novels. No offense, Greg. So I need to figure <laughs> some of those. Oh, on. get ready. It's going to be a graphic novel heavy here pretty soon. It's going to be graphic. And the other book thing that I did this year is for Christmas, my parents gave me a subscription to the Book of the Month Club. That's like a so thing? It is a thing. So the premise of this show is we will each give two book recommendations, and then maybe there will be kind of like a wild card round at the end. We'll see how we're doing. We'll see if Ricardo's still awake. Got it. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> what? Does anyone right. want to get us started? I'll start. All right. Ricardo. Oh, I'll go, Ricardo. Get I'm it. still awake. Boy, it's, it's 7.20 p.m. here in California. It's my bedtime. Great. <laughs> All right. If I may, I would just kind of like to say I'd make a general statement about reading. You know, you just sort of said something general about your reading situation. Um, I have gotten obsessed. I found... Uh, that the library, public library in Los Gatos and in San Mateo, where I live, both have a Friends of the Library bookstore. And so they have these amazing, the books you've always wanted to read, for like a dollar or two dollars. And so kind of behind my husband's back for a few months, (laughs) I went and bought like literally, literally 85 books. Oh my gosh. uh, Literally over like six or seven visits. And I was hiding them in the trunk of my car, and I was <laughs> taking them to the office, and I realized I think I'm sort of buying the books for my retirement. Mm. Uh, kind of weird. Like, I, I turned 53 a week and a half ago, and I said, you know, I've always wanted to read that book, or, you know, I want to reread that book. And there they are for a dollar. So I've got 85 to 90 books. So uh, here is my number two pick. Uh, these I both I both heard I heard both of my picks on audio uh, audiobook while driving to and from the church. My number two pick is called Educated a Memoir. It's by Tara Westover. Surely you've heard of it. It is uh, it came out in 2018. It was uh, one of the ten best books of the year. Uh, so saith the New York Times. It's a memoir by a young woman, Tara Westover, and uh, she's raised in Idaho by basically religious survivalists. They're they're ostensibly Mormon, but the father's kind of wacko. did exist. I had grown up preparing for the days of abomination, watching for the sun to darken, for the moon to drip as if with blood. I spent my summers bottling peaches and my winters rotating supplies. When the world of men failed... My family would continue on, unaffected. But anyway, Tara doesn't get any education growing up. She's only like, she's 17 when she finally steps foot in a classroom. But she has smarts from having read some things. And she goes to high school and has to learn literally everything. But she's so kind of smart and she has a lot of people who help her out that she winds up going to Cambridge University in England. And, uh, she just, she basically is brilliant, but she has to really extricate herself from her pretty crazy family. It's riveting. It's great. Uh, it's huge. I think it's, 
it's like Barack Obama, one of his favorites. Everybody was talking about it. Um, and so I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It will, uh, it will stay with you. Educated, a memoir by Tara Westover. Wow. Thank you, Ricardo. Yeah. What about you, Betsy? What's your number two? I mean, I don't really know how to rank them. So I'm also heavy audible. Like that is like summer is driving in the car, but there were, there were a few that were real standouts for me. And one, because I had watched the show based on the memoir was not then a memoir I was interested in doing, but it, again, any sort of artistic visual representation kind of takes it in a different direction, but it is, it's a memoir that came out a few years ago, shrill notes from a loud woman by Lindy West. Mm -hmm. And on Hulu, there's the show shrill starring A.D. Bryant that takes essays and moments from the book and puts it into, into the novel. And, you know, being someone who has lived life kind of not feeling like feeling that I could always be smaller, feeling that I could always be fitter, feeling that I could always be what have you. There's an element in West's book that really is about this. It's self-acceptance in a way that is just much more in your face. And I really appreciate that. It isn't a, you know, you know, super self-helpy kind of way of doing it. She does it with a lot of humor. She does it with a lot of pop culture references. She does it with just a lot of things. And I really found it to be, it harkened back to a comment that a loved one made to me when I was commenting about my clothes or commenting about whatever. And then she said, but when is the way you are going to be enough? Mm. That it isn't about what you're hoping for, who you're going to be. When I was growing up, there weren't like fat characters in TV shows unless it was an episode about don't be fat <laughs> or, you know, sometimes a fat person would be used as, you know, the victim in a special episode about bullying. Like, don't bully fat people, but the fat person's not really a fat person. So sort of my, and then you had um, sort of like fat monster people like Ursula, who, the sea witch, who I love, but not super relatable when you're eight. Um, or, uh, you know, they're like mother figures. And so I grew up with no other model. And I didn't know, I did, and I, I don't think I articulated that to myself at the time. Like, huh, I have, no, I have no positive role models. What shall I be? It was just this state of confusion. I just found her book incredibly refreshing and said some things you know, after watching the show first the show had said some things I had never heard, but had thought and wanted to hear. And then the book does the same. And so uh, I just appreciate the way West is as a essayist and a writer. And, and uh, it's just, it really struck a note with me. Yeah. So it's called shrill shrill notes from a loud woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I find nice. the colon phrase. Very <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Greg, what have you got for us? Hey, Liz. Graphic right. novels. <laughs> graphic <laughs> novels. That's right. That's right, Betsy. Because, uh, you see, I I don't like to read. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't like books. Truth comes um, out. I mean, we've always known this, though. I, I try to hide it really well on our book club episodes, but... <laughs> you, don't. You, don't. I don't. you don't hide it at all. Um, Be real. I don't like to read, and uh, and I don't I don't listen to audiobooks. I know that a lot of people do. So okay, so yeah, so all of my picks are graphic novels. 
And the thing that I like about graphic novels is that the author is able to communicate their story not only through the words, but also through the pictures that they're able to draw and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so, uh, so my first uh, pick is a graphic novel uh, by Emil Ferris called My Favorite Thing is Monsters. So Emil Ferris is not a comics person. She's, uh, she's an artist. She's a sculptor. Uh, she's out of the um, Art Institute in Chicago. But what I like about it and what I like about both of the things that I recommend is that they um, they're able to depict through uh, th- through the images that they choose um, the way that people see the world differently and see themselves differently. It's a murder mystery. There's a woman who lives in her apartment building who's murdered, and she's trying to figure out what happened. Like, how did this woman? Um, how was she shot in her apartment? And I don't want to get into it really, really a whole lot because the twists and turns of it are what make it compelling. But um, but what you ultimately learn is that there are lots of different kinds of people in the world who maybe see the world differently uh, than you see it. And there's a there's a way of appreciating someone else's reality and holding that and embracing that. And so that's why I would recommend my favorite thing is Monsters. It is an Eisner Award winner uh, from 2018. I think it's just really you take your emotions, you take your character. Karen is definitely me at that age. Um, And you give, maybe you attribute or collect different personalities in the life of your character than were in yours. Or they're combined characters, um, which is what I did. So you do this. You 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 cobble something together and then it starts speaking to you and the weird thing and I think a lot of you are probably writers and you know this they start to live and uh, you are surprised when that happens when they accrete enough spiritual energy that your characters are actually existing outside of you in a way and everyone who reads the book of course adds their brilliant imagination to it and then it gets more concrete in a strange way Okay, so I think I'm going to pick for number two one of my favorite books I've read this year, Normal People by Sally Rooney. People know that Marianne lives in the White Mansion with the driveway and that Connell's mother is a cleaner, but no one knows of the special relationship between these facts. I got an A1, he says. What you get in German? An A1, she says. Are you bragging? You're going to get 600, are you? She shrugs. You probably will, she says. Well, you're smarter than me. Don't feel bad. I'm smarter than everyone. Marianne is grinning now. She exercises an open contempt for people in school. She has no friends and spends her lunchtimes alone reading novels. A lot of people really hate her. Sally Rooney is an Irish author. She's very young. She's like in her early 20s. And um, just one of those kind of right out of the gate, a super lauded author. And this is um, just a kind of short little book about a young man and woman who met and became friends in high school and their friendship slash on again, off again, kind of love affair. It just extends for many years all the way through college. And um, they come from very... Ricardo's not muted. I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Okay. 
I'm sorry. I'm trying to close the door, and I hit the mute, but it keeps unmuting itself. It's like Liz was walking through a haunted house. There. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Liz. Okay, it's fine. now it's quieter. There are a few things that I liked about it. One was probably just the writing. It was like one of those sort of word-perfect stories where just reading it was so, so, so beautiful. And she does an especially incredible job of um, dialogue. And a lot of the story, a lot of the tension in the story comes from the things that this young couple doesn't say to each other and can't say to each other. People will call Sally Rooney like the millennial author like this is the first millennial literary fiction hit or whatever and I was very I didn't really understand what that meant I was like I don't think I'm gonna like this it's all gonna be texts or something it's gonna be really postmodern <laughs> but uh, but that wasn't the case at all what it was was kind of the first story I've really read of young people coming of age in a society when the pathway forward is kind of broken you, you know we don't know what it looks like to grow up anymore all of those markers of like career and finances and home and marriage and stuff like that have sort of fallen apart and there's both like a delayed adulthood that happens and an accelerated expectation of emotional maturity that doesn't always hit the mark just lovely just a lovely little book normal people by sally rooney so it looks like it is gonna be on hulu in 2020 oh really yeah, do you think it can translate to... I mean, you talk about a lot of interior. Yeah. What do you think about that? It's not that plot-driven. It's That sort of surprises me. All right, round one, Ricardo. That was round one, right? That was round This is round two. Well, it's round two, but it's book number one. Okay, you are very confused. Oh, I don't wow, think any of us know what's okay. happening now. <laughs> it's a Ron, backwards I mean, when it's We're one and it's two books. I mean, they're both... All right. It's our number one pick. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Love it. a book that really stuck out with me that I will call my number one pick came out in 2016. I just heard the audiobook a couple months ago. It's called Commonwealth by Ann Patchett. It's really good, but it's hard to describe because there's a sort of a plot. It's basically two families, two suburban families in California, Southern California, and this happens right at the beginning. The wife of one has an affair with the husband of the other, and so the two divorces happen, but they both have kids in their families already, and the book spans basically the christening of one of the kids until she's 50 years old, and all that happens, all the permutations among the adults that had the affair and the uh, husband and wife they left behind. And then the kids who are kind of thrown together and have to kind of grow up together, even though they don't know each other, over different summers. And there are different personalities and uh, a particular tragedy that strikes and the way it happens. You know how there are novels sometimes where there's this family tragedy that happens and it affects everyone for the rest of their lives kind of thing? Well, that happens in this book, but it's 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 not dramatic 
it's just sort of this is how their lives played. This is how their lives played out. Yes. So I want to write about people who seem real. And I also really was interested in the idea of writing about children who grow up. So the children are are very annoying for the most part. They're selfish. They fight. They've had a huge upheaval in their lives. But then you see them in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s, and, and they sort of grow into themselves. They're still the same people, but they, they settle down. They get better. And it's, I think part of actually what makes it an amazing novel is I, I can't get it out of my mind. Someone said it, I think, on, on NPR, but I can't find the way they describe her writing. It's so fluid and vivid that you're right there in it and you're thinking about these well-drawn characters and all the mistakes they make over the years and you can trace it back to why and then they make a quirky decision that doesn't make any sense at all and yet that's so human to do uh you will love it if you read it or listen to it and patchett is the woman who owns the bookstore in nashville mm-hmm. uh that i did not get to when i was in nashville last year but uh, it's one of those famous, awesome local bookstores that everyone loves and kind of makes a little pilgrimage to. So I highly recommend Commonwealth by Anne Patchett. It's an easy read and an easy listen, uh, but it's also profound in its own uh, in its own small way. Betsy. All right. So this is one that has been on my listen list since I read a review and listened to an NPR story about it last summer. It's The Age of Light by uh, Whitney Schreier. Schreier? There's a lot of ARs and ERs. But um, it is a historical... I don't know whether it's considered historical fiction or historical. Yeah, there it is. Liz has got it. Boom. I loved this. Nice. So good. So it's essentially following Lee Miller. From the windows in Lee Miller's kitchen, she sees hills in all directions. One straight gravel road. Stone walls made long before she got here that divide up the landscape and keep the sheep where they belong. Calmly chewing. Her husband, Roland, with his walking stick, wends his way along the bridle path. He has two of their house guests with him and stops to point out a mole's burrow that could break an ankle or a cow pat that might be a little too much country for some visitors. Lee's herb garden is just outside the kitchen and about as far as she ever chooses to walk. Roland stopped asking her to join him on his constitutionals years ago after she told him that until he puts a sidewalk on the downs and lines it with cafe bars, she's not going to be wasting her time tromping through the hillsides. Now she thinks he welcomes the time apart from her, as she does from him. You know, she was initially like a model, and then she was wanted to be a photographer, and then in World War II she became this war correspondent taking pictures for Vogue. And and she famously took a picture of her. They took a candid picture of her that was not released at the time of her taking a bath in Hitler's bathtub with like and they moved like a portrait of Hitler to the edge of the bathtub. And there she is. And uh, she's living in Paris in the 1920s. Right, Liz? Mm hmm. So you're talking about Man Ray. You're talking about Salvador Dali. You're talking about all these people. And she becomes this creative muse. And for her mm-hmm. then to kind of jump that generational gun to be a serious photojournalist after being a pretty face. Is it a story in a book that's about purpose? Is it about passion? Is it about connection? Is it about art? 
and how we stick with things for a while. But if things aren't forever, that's okay. Just to be clear, though, it's a it's it's a novel, but it's based on a real person's yeah. life, yeah. and Hughes close to her biography. Yes, it's, yeah. I would call it historical fiction. Nice. Thank, Thank y'all. Yay. Yeah. All right, oh, Greg. Greg. All right. Graphic novel. novel. Graphic novel. <laughs> no, this is a great segue, Betsy, into my number one, I guess. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of with you guys. It's kind of like a pool, and I'm just picking some out. It's called Building Stories by Chris Ware. And what makes this a uh, fascinating uh, exercise is that it's not a book. When if you were to order this on Amazon and it arrives at your house, it's about the size of a board game box. There's a newspaper, there's a poster, there's a blueprint, there's a little golden book. There's um, all kinds of different things inside the box, 14 different kinds of books inside this box. And you can read them in any particular order, but they all combine to tell a story. I mean, honestly, you can pick up any of the media and read them, um, and the story will reveal itself in a different way each time. So sometimes you're going to be reading flashbacks, and sometimes you're going to read be reading flash forwards, or maybe you can read it in chronological order. It uh, captures what I like to think of in life, which is that, you know, we live our lives in the moment, in the present, but so much of our lives are caught up in memory or yearning for what's possible in the future. You're constantly either looking forward or looking back to things that have happened to you while concentrating on what's happening to you now. And this book, if you want to call it that, does such a great job of holding all these three things together and sort of telling a human story in the midst of sort of what looks like chaos in a box. Many of my teachers were trying to get myself and my fellow students to find the one thing that we were interested in and then write about that. I never wanted to do that. I wanted to be able to write about everything and anything because that's what life is. It's up to me as an artist to try to decide how much can I try to feel through another person and still have it not be a sentimentalization or a falseness. I have to try to somehow push my limits and my understanding of how I feel through other people and what I'm doing. And you risk falling on your face doing so, but that's a risk you have to take. what art is all about is trying to figure out if the feelings that you're having are the same as the feelings that I'm having. Why I would recommend Building Stories by Chris Ware. I think it took him like a decade to produce all of these things. And uh, it was kind of his life's work and it's it's fabulous. I remember hearing about it when it came out and it got rave reviews. Oh. Um, but it sounded frustrating. And so I just kind of... <laughs> I just set it aside, but you know, can you give our our listeners uh, some sort of assurance that they will love it? Those people who like chronology and ask yourself before you go into this enterprise: Do I like watching Terrence Malick movies? And if the answer is no, then this probably isn't for you. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Wow. Okay. So there you. Thank go. you. Not putting it on hold then. Uh, <laughs> All right, Liz. Okay, Elizabeth. 
So I'm going to do, I, th- I think that when it comes to the end of the year, I will say that this is the best book that I read all year. I think, I mean, who knows? We still have months to go, but um, it's a great little novel called Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi. Mm. And I read it because it satisfied one of my book or one of my um, read harder challenge prompts, which was um, a book by an author of color that won a literary award in 2018. And I can't remember what award that was. Maybe I can figure it out. Um, But anyway, it's a really short, super beautiful novel about um, a family, an immigrant family that lives in London and um, it's uh, older sister and uh, brother and sister who are twins and just sort of how their lives go separate ways. The older daughter moves to the States to uh, finish her education. And while she's away, the younger brother is radicalized and ends up being drawn to join ISIS as a way to kind of avenge um, his father's death. And then what happens to his twin sister, who is just devastated by this loss? It is, I'm sure, a retelling of Antigone, but I'm not familiar enough with Antigone to know kind of where that was happening. Um, And I got an email from a man I had never met um, called Jatinder Verma, who runs the Tara Arts Theatre in London. Um, And he invited me for a coffee. And when we met, he said, uh, I really love your novels. I love the way you do dialogue. I want you to write a play for me. And I said, but I don't know how to write a play. And he said, yes, I thought you'd say that. So why don't you adapt a play? Something like Antigone. Um, He said, you know, I think that's really a play you could do a lot with. And if you could just think about some contemporary Asian or British Asian context for it, just go away and think about it. Um, And I said, all right. And I thought, you know, I do love the theatre, but I knew that I have no idea how to write this. I have no idea how to write a play. And I went away and I reread Antigone, which I hadn't looked at since I was at university and only dimly remembered. And very quickly, I came to see how I would want to transpose a contemporary story onto it, because it is, among the many other things it's about, it is also what happens when an individual takes on what they think of as an unjust edict by the state. And of course, any state is going to to be um, sort of prime for an adaptation around that. But it's it's just uh, gorgeous and no spoilers, but the final page pages, I was like, I mean, they were as far as books go, it was like a life changing read. It felt like all of the air was sucked out of my body when I read the final <gasps> page and I was just sat there like, oh, my gosh, I can't I can't what just happened. I can't believe what just happened. Cro- lots of crying. It's just beautifully, beautifully written. It's so short. I don't want to say anything that spoils it, but um, Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi. It's incredible. Wow. That book was available for downloadable audiobook at my local public library. <laughs> Look at this. And I just downloaded it. All right. Oh. It's so good. Wait, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Everybody got to do their thing. We did it. We did it. So other than building stories... All of the books uh, are written by women. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Nice. I was very conscious of that uh, in my selections. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize I was reading uh, literature written by women and loving it. 
So yay for that, whatever that may mean. Should we do an outro? I can do an outro. Sure. Are we doing staff picks anymore or are we not doing that? We just did eight staff picks. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Fair point. (laughs) We're kind of good. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Popping Collars. You can find Popping Collars on wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Um, You can also find us at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at Popping Collars. And um, it might be helpful. Like, if you really like this episode, just, like, give it lots of love. Maybe let us know other episodes you'd like to hear. We're open. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 We're open to hearing from you guys. Um, you know what I would say is like, you know, we have a lot of five star <laughs> reviews on great. our podcast. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, but we all know those are our friends and our families and stuff. <laughs> like, if you want to throw a three star what? or a two star on there, it makes us look legit. If oh, you <laughs> like, it makes us look like a real <laughs> podcast. So feel free, like put a three star review yeah, on there. Just get in there. Let's just be real. Let's yeah. be real, everybody. Right. So you know what? I'd rather be okay. real than be loved. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Betsy. And Thank you, Liz. Keep Thanks, those Liz. collars popped. Pop pop. Wow. We're right, we're so mellow. We're so much mellower. We're almost out of t-shirts again. T-shirts. Oh. Wait. wait. People are ordering them? Yeah, man. Like, we're a popular show, Ricardo. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So we're not in our twilight. Is that right? Am I just like... People listen to us. Actually, we're doing better now than we ever have. Now that we don't do podcasts, we're doing better (laughs) than we've ever...